Proem of Cabbages and Kings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elliot Gage. Cabbages and Kings by O. Henry. Proem. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax and cabbages and kings. The Walrus and the Carpenter They will tell you in Anchuria that President Miraflores, of that volatile republic, died by his own hand in the coast town of Corleo that he had reached thus far in flight from the inconveniences of an imminent revolution, and that $100,000 government funds, which he carried with him in an American leather valise as a souvenir of his tempestuous administration, was never afterward recovered. For a real, a boy will show you his grave. It is back of the town near a little bridge that spans a mangrove swamp. A plain slab of wood stands at its head. Someone has burned upon the headstone with a hot iron this inscription. Ramon Angel de las Cruces y Miraflores, Presidente de la República de Anchuria, que sea su juiz Dios. It is characteristic of this buoyant people that they pursue no man beyond the grave. Let God be his judge. Even with the hundred thousand unfound, though greatly coveted, the hue and cry went no further than that. To the stranger or the guest, the people of Coralio will relate the story of the tragic end of their former president, how he strove to escape from the country with the public funds, and also with Donna Isabel Gilbert, the young American opera singer, and how, being apprehended by members of the opposing political party in Coralio, he shot himself through the head rather than give up the funds, and in consequence the Senorita Gilbert. They will further relate that Donna Isabel, her adventurous bark of fortune shoaled by the simultaneous loss of her distinguished admirer and the souvenir 100,000, dropped anchor on this stagnant coast, awaiting a rising tide. They say in Coralio that she found a prompt and prosperous tide in the form of Frank Goodwin, an American resident of the town, an investor who had grown wealthy by dealing in the products of the country, a banana king a rubber prince, a sarsaparilla, indigo, and mahogany baron. The Senorita Gilbert, you will be told, married Senor Goodwin one month after the president's death. Thus, in the very moment when fortune had ceased to smile, wresting from her a gift greater than the prize withdrawn. Of the American, Don Frank Goodwin, and of his wife, the natives have nothing but good to say. Don Frank has lived among them for years and has compelled their respect. His lady is easily queen of what social life the sober coast affords. The wife of the governor of the district herself, who was of the proud Castilian family of Monteleon y Dolorosa de los Santos y Mendez, feels honored to unfold her napkin with olive-hued ringed hands at the table of Signora Goodwin. Were you to refer, with your northern prejudices, to the vivacious past of Mrs. Goodwin when her audacious and gleeful abandon in light opera captured the mature president's fancy, or to her share in that statesman's downfall and malfeasance, the Latin shrug of the shoulder would be your only answer in rebuttal. 
what prejudices there were in Coralio concerning Signora Goodwin seemed now to be in her favor, whatever they had been in the past. It would seem that the story is ended instead of begun, that the close of a tragedy and the climax of a romance have covered the ground of interest, but to the more curious reader it shall be some slight instruction to trace the close threads that underlie the ingenious web of circumstances. The headpiece bearing the name of President Miraflores is daily scrubbed with soap bark and sand. An old half-breed Indian tends the grave with fidelity and the dawdling minuteness of inherited sloth. He chops down the weeds and ever-springing grass with his machete. He plucks ants and scorpions and beetles from it with his horny fingers and sprinkles its turf with water from the plaza fountain. There is no grave anywhere so well kept and ordered. Only by following out the underlying threads will it be made clear why the old Indian Galvez is secretly paid to keep green the grave of President Miraflores by one who never saw that unfortunate statesman in life or in death, and why that one was wont to walk in the twilight casting from a distance looks of gentle sadness upon that unhonored mound. Elsewhere than at Coralio, one learns of the impetuous career of Isabel Gilbert. New Orleans gave her her birth, and the mingled French and Spanish Creole nature that tinctured her life with such turbulence and warmth. She had little education, but a knowledge of men and motives that seemed to have come by instinct. Far beyond the common woman was she endowed with intrepid rashness, with a love for the pursuit of adventure to the brink of danger, and with desire for the pleasures of life. Her spirit was one to chafe under any curb. She was eve after the fall, but before the bitterness of it was felt. She wore life as a rose in her bosom. Of the legion of men who had been at her feet, it was said that but one was so fortunate as to engage her fancy. To President Miraflores, the brilliant but unstable ruler of Anchuria, she yielded the key to her resolute heart. How then do we find her, as the Coralians would have told you, the wife of Frank Goodwin, and happily living a life of dull and dreamy inaction? The underlying threads reach far, stretching across the sea, Following them out, it will be made plain why Shorty O'Day of the Columbia Detective Agency resigned his position, and for a lighter pastime it shall be a duty and a pleasing sport to wander with Momus beneath the tropic stars where Melpomene once stalked austere. Now to cause laughter to echo from those lavish jungles and frowning crags where formerly rang the cries of pirates' victims, to lay aside pike and cutlass and attack with quip and jollity, to draw one saving titter of mirth from the rusty cask of romance. This were pleasant to do in the shade of the lemon trees on that coast that is curved like lips set for smiling. For there are yet tales of the Spanish main, that segment of continent washed by the tempestuous Caribbean and presenting to the sea a formidable border of tropical jungle topped by the overweening cordilleras is still begirt by mystery and romance in past times buccaneers and revolutionists roused the echoes of its cliffs and the condor wheeled perpetually above where in the green groves they made food for him with their matchlocks and toledos taken and retaken by sea rovers by adverse powers and by sudden uprising of rebellious factions the historic three hundred miles of adventurous coast has scarcely known for hundreds of years whom rightly to call its master pizarro balboa sir francis drake 
and Bolivar did what they could to make it part of Christendom. Sir John Morgan, Lafitte, and other eminent swashbucklers bombarded and pounded it in the name of Abidon. The game still goes on. The guns of the rovers are silenced, but the tintype man, the enlarged photograph brigand, the Kodiaking tourists, and the scouts of the General Brigade of Fakirs have found it out and carry on the work. The hucksters of Germany, France, and Sicily now bag its small change across their counters. Gentlemen adventurers throng the waiting rooms of its rulers with proposals for railways and concessions. The little Oprah nations play at government and intrigue until some day a big silent gunboat glides into the offing and warns them not to break their toys and with these changes comes also the small adventure with empty pockets to fill light of heart busy-brained the modern fairy prince bearing an alarm clock with which more surely than by the sentimental kiss to awaken the beautiful tropics from their centuries sleep generally he wears a shamrock which he matches pridefully against the extravagant palms and it is he who has driven Melpomene to the wings and set comedy to dancing before the footlights of the Southern Cross. So there is a little tale to tell of many things. Perhaps to the promiscuous ear of the walrus it shall come with most avail, for in it there are indeed shoes and ships and sealing wax and cabbages and presidents instead of kings. Add to these a little love and counterplotting, and scatter everywhere throughout the maze a trail of tropical dollars, dollars warmed no more by the torrid sun than by the hot palms of the scouts of fortune. And after all, here seems to be life itself with talk enough to weary the most garrulous of walruses. End of proem.